Let us pray. Lord, it's the choir just saying, we ask that you revive the church today. We ask that your Holy Spirit will come rushing into this place like a mighty wind, that it will move our hearts, that it will speak to us, that it will move us deeply. As your word is read, Lord, we ask that your word will come alive for us today, that only your truth will be spoken and only your truth will be heard, and uh, that these words written long ago will, will penetrate us deeply and, uh, and shape us to be more like Christ, the Savior we serve. Descend upon us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, or shall be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into the nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you. And to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Last week we began a a series on the biblical covenants that God made with certain key members of the Old Testament. And what we're doing is we're looking at these covenants and then we're looking at how they, they sort of culminate in the person of Jesus and how the covenants become relevant for us today. And last week we talked about Noah. We talked about the covenant God made with Noah with the rainbow in the sky after the flood. And we said that 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 covenant was a promise not to abandon what God had started, which was creation. So not only was it just a covenant with Noah, but it was a covenant for all of creation, that God was not going to turn his back on us. And, And he demonstrated that by eventually sending Jesus Christ into the world. Uh, to suffer, die, and, and, and rise again from the dead uh, so that that salvation, so that creation could be redeemed through salvation. And that was just uh, one example of the, the Old Testament covenants that, that become relevant for us through Jesus. So today we're looking at uh, the covenant that God made with Abraham and how he, he told Abraham, you will be the father of a multitude of nations. Now when we read this, uh, since you know we're talking about it in the series, how it's relevant for us, we need to understand that this covenant is about us. God is talking to Abraham about us. He's talking about every one of us in the church. He's talking about all of the churches. He's talking about all the generations uh, from the Israelites and from the Arab nations, but he's also talking about the church who through faith have been grafted into that covenant, that promise that he made with Abraham. 
We know that God is talking about us and the church and many nations because of the fact that God tells Abraham, you will be the father of a multitude of nations. Now, if, if this was just a covenant about Abraham's direct lineage, his descendants, he wouldn't have said a multitude of nations. Because his son Isaac was, uh, through Isaac, Abraham was the father to the nation of Israel. And through Ishmael, Abraham's other son, he was the father to the Ishmaelites or the, the Arab nation. Now, if you think about the, the Arab nation and you think about the, the nation of Israel, that's not a multitude of nations. That's just really two nations who basically come from the same race. So that's not a multitude of nations. And it wouldn't have made sense for God to make that statement, to make that promise, unless God was planning on bringing other nations, other cultures into the covenant which he did. We teach our children uh, in, in Sunday school and, and in vacation Bible school. You probably learned the song when you were a child, maybe. I don't know. Uh, the, the song Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. We make that claim to be one of Abraham's descendants, even if we aren't in the direct bloodline. And we make that claim because we believe that through faith, through grace, and through the Holy Spirit, that we become part of that covenant that God made with Abraham. So what exactly all did this, this covenant entail? Well, there, there's a lot to, uh, to talk about in the covenant, but I'll just I'll, I'll highlight three points of it. First of all... Uh, God said that some of your descendants will be kings. Now, we know that later on, we talked about this in, in our, our, uh, our study last year through the kings, that the Israelites demanded a king and it made God upset. Now, God knew that eventually they were going to have kings, so why was he upset? He was upset not because they, did, they, they shouldn't have had a king, but because they were demanding it before they were supposed to have one. But it was always his intent... To have kings in that line coming from Abraham. And we know that because it's through David and through Solomon and through that bloodline that Jesus Christ, the king of kings, was to come into the world. So when God made this covenant with Abraham that your descendants will be kings, there will be kings among your offspring. He was talking about David. He was talking about Solomon. But he was also talking about the king of kings, Jesus Christ. Uh, the second thing you'll notice about this covenant is that he says, I will give your descendants the land of Canaan, which is an everlasting possession. Now, a lot of people will, will talk about the, the geographical land of Canaan and, and who has the rights to it and all of that. And, and that's a sermon for another time in another place. Today, I want to talk about the everlasting part of that. God says this will be an everlasting possession, this land. And if it includes a multitude of nations, we know that a multitude of nations can't all dwell in this little strip of land called Canaan. But God is promising a multitude of nations that will be your descendants will have this everlasting possession. So since it's an everlasting possession, we know that this is an everlasting covenant or an eternal covenant. And that it will be a land that we all share. In other words, it's a promised land that we will all inherit together. Every, every child of Abraham will inherit a share in this promised land. 
And then finally, God says part of the covenant is to you, to your offspring, I will always be God to you. In other words, he will always be there with us. He will always be there ready to guide us, ready to lead us, ready to instruct us, and ready to receive worship from us. So we see that this covenant that God made with Abraham, it involves us, it involves a future king, it involves eternal promises, and it involves the fact that God will always be there for the children of Abraham. So like the other covenants that we're going to talk about, like the one we talked about last week, we see all of this fulfilled in the person of Jesus, the King of Kings, who came to offer us eternal life, who came to to bring us all into the fold, all into that covenant that was offered uh, initially through Abraham and his direct descendants. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to read Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Galatians is an interesting book. It's written by Paul to the church um, in in Galatia. And uh, and Paul was pretty upset with them. In fact, at one point he tells them, he he just exclaims, you foolish Galatians. And in some translations he says, you you stupid Galatians. He He was very upset with the Galatians. But why? Why was Paul so upset with the Galatians? Well, it was because they were teaching that if you were a Gentile Christian, you had to become like the Jews. And you needed to follow the the Jewish customs and the Jewish laws. And you must become circumcised like the Jews in order to be a child of Abraham, to be part of that covenant. And Paul is writing to the Galatians and saying, no, you foolish Galatians, that's not what, what this means at all. You don't have to, you are no longer slaves to the law, and neither are the, the Jewish people, neither are the actual descendants of Abraham. And so in chapter 4, we see that Paul says to the Galatians, starting in verse 1, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So in other words, Paul is saying before Jesus, before Christ, you were like you were like slaves, because even though you were descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people were descendants of Abraham. They still were under this law, under this covenant. But because of Jesus, who was born under the law, you are freed. And all of those who have been living outside of the law can now be adopted in. So these elementary things like circumcision and all of this, you're foolish if you think that you have to be bound by that. Because what is really required now is a circumcision of the heart. And it says, because of Jesus and because of that adoption and because we are all grafted in, now the spirit of his son is on your heart. And Paul is talking about us 
about, about something new happening, a new thing. No longer do you have to worry about the law and the circumcision. There is a circumcision of the heart because you have been adopted through Christ. And he says that the, the proof of this is the spirit that's in your heart. Now, today is Pentecost Sunday, so we're talking about the Holy Spirit and what it does and, and what, it, what happens when the Spirit falls on all of our hearts at once. And the Holy Spirit was revealed to the church. The church was born there in, at, at Pentecost when it fell on all the different people from all the different tribes and all the different cultures with all different languages coming from all their different countries. And they all understood each other perfectly. It was a miracle by the Holy Spirit. Now, when, when you're in a family, there are mannerisms, there are traits that you share, that you pick up from each other. I've noticed that there are things that, little sayings that I'll say, little phrases I'll catch myself saying that I don't really hear other people say. And then I'll realize that, that maybe my, my sister or, or my, my father or my mother, somebody says that same phrase. And I'll think, well, that must be where I got it from. And then I've noticed before I'll, I'll be hanging around cousins or uncles or aunts, and they'll say the same type thing, these little mannerisms, these little uh, quirks of vocabulary that's sort of shared within the family. And, and, and families do that. They share mannerisms. They even share looks. What's really amazing is when a family member uh, can share looks with another family member, and it didn't start off that way. Have you all ever witnessed that? Like when I was, when my little brother was born, he's 14 years younger than me. When he was born, he didn't look anything like me. He had blonde hair, and I, I had brown hair growing up. He was much bigger as a as a kid than I ever was. He he shot up past me when he was an early teenager, and uh, and he just didn't really look anything like me. And in the past few years, as he's entered into his his 20s now, his his face is kind of you know settled into. It's normal look, I guess. And, 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 uh, and me and him have both noticed. We look at each other and we're like, oh, we look like each other now. And I don't know when that happened because it didn't start off that way. In fact, he said recently that I look like his much older twin. <laughs> I didn't appreciate that too much. But we didn't start off looking that way or, or like each other. And then we wound up looking like each other. And I've seen this other times. I've seen this in my dad's family. I remember as a child thinking he didn't look like his, his siblings. But as they've gotten older, as they, they start to age the same. They start to look the same. And now you can tell that they, they are from the same family. And that's what happened at Pentecost. All these people came from all these different countries and these different places. And they had their own language. And they came together. And because the Holy Spirit fell on them, all of a sudden they shared a language. They shared a knowledge they shared a heart and they shared the spirit. And that's when the church was born. They were made a family through the spirit. We say that blood is thicker than water. But the blood of Christ is thicker than our family blood. Because it's through the blood of Christ that we inherit the spirit that binds us together. And that spirit is stronger than any family ties we could hope for. And it's through that spirit and through that family that, that we, we share a father. And as we share a father, it's not just Abraham. We share the father of Abraham. And we share in that covenant. We become heirs together. We are all adopted into that same 
family. Now, once you're in a family, you have to start recognizing each other as family. On the front of your bulletin, you'll see that I, I talked about my niece who was adopted and how, um, you know, she just her parents just accept her as as one of their daughters, just like their other daughters. I mean, they don't think anything of it. It's, she was adopted, but she is part of the family. Now, that's great when you're talking about a, a parental and a child relationship, but the siblings have to accept each other too, right? And if you were to come to a family event, you would see the cousins all playing with my niece and my niece's sisters all playing with her just as if she was one of them because she is. Through adoption, she is just like them. And, and, and all of the, the siblings have accepted her as such. So when we talk about the church, when we talk about us being adopted into this covenant, us being adopted into the family of Christ, uh, or, or uh, the family of God through Christ, we have to recognize each other as co-heirs, joint heirs. We have to recognize each other as brothers and sisters, regardless of any language barriers or any culture barriers or anything like that, just as they did on that first Pentecost. I think it's ironic that, that Peter was the one preaching at Pentecost when this happened. I think that reveals God's sense of humor. Because Peter, if you look closely through the Gospels, he, he, he had probably some, some racist tendencies that came out from time to time. He didn't understand why Jesus would be talking to the Samaritan woman and then in the book of Acts, there's this sort of dispute he has with Paul over whether or not Gentiles should be included in the fellowship and all this. And God has to kind of correct him. And, and, uh, and so Peter has, has sort of this struggle. Uh, and, and so I think that it's, it's ironic and it shows God's sense of humor that he used Peter at Pentecost to be the one speaking when the Holy Spirit fell on the crowd gathered there and all the people of all the different languages started to recognize each other. Uh, this week, our denomination is meeting in Portland for a general conference. The United Methodist Church every four years sends delegates and they, they discuss and they vote on the church law, the polity, what's going to go in the book of discipline, all these type of things. And this is going on right now as we speak. They're, they're taking today off, but they've met all this past week. They'll, they'll meet uh, in the week ahead of us to discuss these things. And they come from all over the globe. Delegates from Africa and Asia and Europe and, and America and, and Australia. And they all come together to, to discuss the, the future of the church and the denomination. And it's a time where the Holy Spirit falls on everybody who's there. Unfortunately, right now, there's a lot of conflict. There are one or two issues that are dividing the conference. And, and people can't get past and, and there's anger there's tension there and, um, and and the strangest thing about it is that it's not a tension between American Christians American Methodists and African Methodists or American Methodists and Asian or European Methodists the biggest tension, the biggest conflict is between American Methodists and other American Methodists who are going up there and fighting and arguing and can't see eye to eye, can't come to any sort of common ground. And that tells you something. That it's our culture that is split and it's divided. 
And all of these other nations can gather and the Holy Spirit can fall on us and, and, and speak to us all in new ways. But it's our own culture that is divided. That tells you something. It tells you that we're in need of a circumcision of the heart. Now I know you're probably not comfortable with me, me pushing that analogy too much. But what, what happens there? When, when Paul talks about a circumcision of the heart being needed, he's talking about something being removed. And there's a fresh layer of skin up under it. Have y'all seen Liam today? He fell earlier this week in the driveway, got a little road rash on the side of his face, and is starting to, to scab over from that, that fresh skin being exposed so quickly. And that's what happens with us when we, we are spiritually speaking, when we talk about God coming in and, and, and doing this circumcision of the heart. All of a sudden there's this, this new freshness, this new layer that is exposed and it makes us vulnerable. And the natural tendency is for us to scab over, to harden, to, to entrench ourselves and not want to recognize each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, as joint heirs in Christ. But that's unfortunate because if we let the Spirit do its work, if we let the Spirit fall upon us and move us in love and in grace, His will can't help but happen. His will for the the world and His will for the church will happen when we start to recognize the Spirit in each other, the Holy Spirit in each other. We only do that when we recognize each other as a fellow adoptees. The unfortunate part of adoption, of course, is that sometimes it's rejected. I knew a, a child, when I was a child, one of my friends, he was adopted. And as he grew in his teenage years, he became rebellious and, and uh, he didn't get along with his adoptive parents. And he wound up eventually telling them, you're not my real parents. And he ran away. And to this day, they don't have a relationship. As far as he's concerned, they are not his real parents. And when we think about people in the world, we can say that there are people who reject the adoption that is offered to them through Christ. There certainly are. But what's worse is there are people who have received that adoption. And they have the Holy Spirit on their hearts and on their lives to bear witness to that. But yet we fail to see it. We fail to recognize it. Because we don't want to believe that there are people unlike us who are in this family. So we reject them, we mistreat them, or we ignore them. Pentecost has been called the birthday of the church, and rightfully so, but it's also the day where regardless of where we came from, the Holy Spirit can come down and touch us and change us. And when that happens, we must recognize that we're all in this together. We all share the Spirit We all share adoption. We all share this covenant that dates all the way back to Abraham. We are joint heirs of this covenant. We share in that promise that God made so long ago. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you've included us in this covenant, this promise you made with Abraham, this everlasting covenant, an an everlasting promise to inherit a promised land greater than this land that we are in right now. We thank you that we have inherited this, not because of anything we've done, but because of your grace, your love, and because of the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, soften our hearts. 
Help us to lose our scabs so that we can love each other from a place of vulnerability, a place of honesty, a place of true love, a place that maybe even hurts sometimes when we give that part of our heart away. Lord, make us willing to do it for the sake of your family, for the sake of the adoption that we have received and that others have received through your spirit. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit fall on your church here today in this building, but globally as well, that you unite us in ways that we haven't been united since that first Pentecost. Lord, bind us together again. Free us through your perfect love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 144, This Is My Father's World. Please stand if you are able and join us in singing hymn number 144.